You're listening to Postpartum Pieces, a sub-series of the Mummy Republic podcast, featuring educational conversations with professionals to help you get through postpartum life the best you can. Today's topic is starting solids. I'm joined by certified nutrition consultant, Luca McCabe. So Luca, there's been a lot of changes in information over the past few years when it comes to starting solids. And I know personally between my two kids, there's been a massive difference. So what is your recommendation in terms of when to start and why? Um, well, my I guess my recommendation is based on the current guidelines, but it's funny because, um, yeah, I agree that there's a lot of misconceptions around when to start. Um but the current guidelines were actually changed in 2002, which was, what, nearly 20 years ago now, yeah. um, saying that we should start solids around the six-month mark. Um, mm-hmm. However, before that, it was four months. And then before that, it was, you know, it's gone back to even earlier as well. Um, but basically, that's the World Health Organization saying that that they recommend from six months. Um, however, the... There's no like magic switch that happens at six months and, you know, just makes a baby ready to start solid. So I like to promote more that you look for the signs of readiness. Um, So both of my children were a little bit before six months and they were both meeting the readiness signs, which is the biggest one for me is that they can sit up unassisted. Um, Basically, if they can sit up unassisted, then... The, the biggest thing is it's showing that um, not only that they have the core strength to hold them upright, but also um, that core strength means that there's digestive muscles in sort of the digestive tract intestines and what's called peristalsis, which is the muscle movement to actually move food through the stomach, the colon, out the bowel, and so that they don't get constipated. If they can see that, that's a really good sign that all of those muscles are most likely going to be working really well um, and be efficient. And it's also um, if they can sit up uh, reducing the choking risk as well because you can imagine if they're flopping forward all of the time, they'll be flopping their airway um, and including a lot of their airway. So we want to keep them nice and upright and that airway as open as we can. So that's the biggest one. Um, But also there's things like, showing interest in solids, which is a really big false um, cue for a lot of people because a lot of people will say their four-month-old is interested in solids and they probably are, but they're also interested in just everything at this age and doesn't necessarily mean they're hungry. And I always say, you know, if you gave a baby at that age some dog poo, they'd probably eat that too because... (laughs) You know, they just put everything in their mouth and that's really good. It's a developmentally normal thing, but it's not the only thing we should look for. But it's definitely an important um, sign of readiness that they, they're willing to eat. Um, but the other big one as well, and this one's quite important, is to look for if they're, I guess, able to show you that they actually want to eat more or that they've had enough. And so... They might start doing this while you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding is that they will um, be able to tell you that they've had enough of their milk feed. So they'll turn their head away, for example, or, you know, come off and push it away. And if you were to try and offer more that they would say, you know, in their own little way that they don't want any more. Mm-hmm. Um, if they can do that, that's really good because then that means with solids that 
that risk of overfeeding a baby isn't hopefully going to happen because they'll be able to tell us that they don't actually want any more. Um, and so you see these little four-month-old babies being fed and they're kind of just sitting back, lying back in the chair, being fed, but they're just not actively engaged with the meal. So, you know, we want them to be like grabbing for the spoon or grabbing for the finger food, showing that they want more. They're the main contributor to eating and we're just providing the good food. So hopefully that makes sense, but that's what you kind of want to look for. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's interesting that you say that because I've never I've never actually heard that as being a concern in terms of overfeeding the baby or them not being engaged, but it's so important for, you know, they're, I guess, setting them up for success going forward. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, one of the benefits of baby led weaning is that you can't really overfeed a baby led weaning baby the same way as you can't overfeed a breastfed baby. Um, mm. However, with spoon feeding, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with spoon feeding, but there is that risk of overfeeding because basically, yeah, if they're not engaged with the meal or, you know, we would remember as when we were children and, you know, there's a whole, here's the airplane, open your mouth and trying to get them to have more and more. Um, we definitely can overfeed them. and. Um, whilst that might not sound too bad to some people but the biggest thing is we want babies to learn how to self-regulate their appetites and um, they are the biggest knower of how much they should be eating and we can get a little bit confused when we see you know like the the jarred food or the pouch foods and things at the supermarket and think oh is that how much you know they're meant to eat when in reality you know some babies will only eat a teaspoon in a meal and that's enough for them and that's plenty and anymore they end up getting constipated or digestive issues or you know mm-hmm. so it is really important to to teach them that skill of learning how much to eat and and when to stop eating um yeah and be in control of the meals that's that's the one of the biggest benefits of baby led weaning which is good yeah and I think too we um you know, we, we tend to find ourselves in a bit of a pressure to rush feeding because we assume, oh, well, as soon as the baby starts solids, they'll sleep through the night, which <laughs> certainly is not always the case. Yeah. Um, and you touched on baby-led weaning and we're hearing a lot more about it now. So what's yeah. your thoughts and your perspective? Because I know you're a fan of this space. Yeah. Um, so for those that don't know what baby-led weaning is, I guess baby-led weaning is is essentially a fancy word for finger foods. Mm-hmm. Um but what it what it should mean is that the baby is in control of the weaning. And so, again, it means they're in control of the mean t- meal time. They're in control of how much they eat and what goes into their mouth. And our job is to provide the healthy food for them. Um, so baby-led weaning can be amazing. However, I'm, I wouldn't say I am a um, hardcore baby-led weaner. Um, which there are a lot of out there. <laughs> so yeah. hardcore people, I guess, are very anti-spoon feeding in any like realm at all. Um, whereas I really don't see an issue with spoon feeding um, the baby as well. So I think for a lot of people, a combination style of feeding works best for them where sometimes they'll do spoon feeding because there might be some foods that scare them. Um, for example, meat is you know can be quite a scary finger food for a lot of people but they might feel really confident offering a nice ripe piece of avocado for example as a finger mm-hmm. food and so doing sometimes a combination of the two 
is really great for parents, but I I like to promote first and foremost that mealtime is relaxing and a happy experience because if you can imagine if you're super anxious around finger foods um, and your baby's eating finger foods and every time that they, you know, gag a little bit or shove the whole thing in the mouth if you're panicking and if you're running and hitting them on the back or shoving your finger down their throat they're going to pick up these really negative associations around food and Mm. um you know probably will stop eating because they'll they'll think every time I eat I get whacked on the back or my mum's sitting there staring at me like you know (laughs) (laughs) um and so I think it's best to to keep it as relaxing as possible and for some people baby led weaning is a very relaxing experience especially I find more like second third time mums who you know nothing's quite as stressful second time around as it is the first time um but yeah so there's no right or wrong but baby led weaning definitely has some benefits so what I usually try and just promote is that you attempt to do at least some finger foods by nine months of age because Mm -hmm. there are benefits to it and if you leave it too long sometimes babies can get a little bit fussy with textures and things if you yeah leave it past nine months and that doesn't mean they have to be fully on finger food but some by then Um, But, yeah, there's benefits to it, like babies learning about textures of food, babies learning, um, again, how to self-regulate their appetite. They're learning how to chew, how to swallow. They're strengthening all their jaw muscles. Uh, They're more engaged with the meals generally. Um, And, you know, for a lot of families it's easier because you can just offer them pieces of food off of your plate instead of having to make special meals all the time for the baby. So, Lots of benefits, but there's also downfalls as well. Um, Like I said, a lot of people are afraid to offer meat and meat is the the best source of iron for a baby in terms of absorbability of the iron. Mm -hmm. And so there is a lot of research coming out saying that baby-led weaning babies, um, a lot of them are iron deficient because people are (laughs) um, just not offering them any much iron-rich foods. So wow yeah so we you know like I said that's when combination can come in handy um Mm -hmm. where some is spoon fed and some is finger food so um yeah there's pros and cons to both I think it's choosing what what works for your family I started both of my kids on on purees and then um my son was on purees for I think a month or two and then my daughter was on puree for about three days and then she flat out refused to have puree and went straight to finger foods. <laughs> um, I think that was from watching an older brother eating, just wanting to do what he does. So yeah. sometimes they'll make that call for you, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and look, I think that's that can be said for anything in motherhood. You know, every child is so different. Um, and I love your Instagram for the fact that you do educate in this space around how to do it safely and, you know, you've talked about the squish test. Yeah. Um, when it comes to finger foods and I guess then particularly meats, how would you suggest that we do it safely? Uh, yeah, so the squish test, for those that didn't see, is just where the finger foods can be easily squished between your thumb and your finger. If you can do that, then generally that means that baby will be able to squish that food between their palate and the roof of their, sorry, their tongue and the palate. Um, And that means that 
hopefully, you know, even if they do take a big chunk of food, like a big bite of food or shove the whole thing in their mouth, that it's easily squashed and moved before it gets down the airway. Basically, we want to prevent choking. And so choking is when the airway is occluded um, and something stuck in the airway. So we want to try and aim for foods that cannot do that. So the safest shape for a baby starting out on solids is about the shape of your index finger. So that width and that length. Um, there's other benefits to that too because they can also grasp it a bit easy. They have what's known as a palmer grasp where they'll just grab the, everything with their whole hand. They can't quite pick things up with their fingers yet. And so that'll provide them with a little handle to hold and hopefully they'll take little bites of the food. Um, in terms of making it uh, meat as safe as possible there's a few things you can do you can either just offer really thin strips of meat so for example like a slow cooked lamb or beef or um, chicken or something like that you know you can just pull off strips so like they'll be Mm -hmm. really thin but quite long that they can chew on and suck on yeah um you can also do things like mince is a really great one because it breaks up really easily so you can do things like make, you know, little kofters, which is like that long, skinny, like a long, skinny meatball, basically. So a meatball like the size of your finger. Um, So that's a really good one you can do. Or you can offer strips of meat as well, again, about the size of your finger. Um, You don't need to like overcook the meat, leave it a little bit sort of tender. And then baby can just, even if they just get the juices, they can suck on that and you know, it will start to encourage them to take bites. Um, so they're usually some of the best ways. Or you can actually also um, like pound meat down, you know, to make it like quite flat and, um, you know, like with a what they called meat pounder thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> idea. I've never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do lots of options. Or one of my favourite ways to incorporate meat to babies is, um and for people that do follow me they'll know I promote liver quite a lot for babies because it's so high in iron um it's gram for gram one of the most nutritious foods that you can ever eat and so liver is a really great one because what I do is I just grate it into food so I get it frozen it's raw and frozen and I grate it into a hot meal and then as you stir it through the hot meal it cooks the liver because it's like little snowflakes it just dissolves um, and so that's a really easy way of incorporating meat. The Another one that I love is bone marrow, which is so easy to incorporate because bone marrow is essentially just a fat and you're essentially eating the stem cells from the bone and so it's so rich in iron and a really easy to absorb form of iron. And so because it's just a fat, you know, you can just, you can use it for anything, like you can coat veggies in it, you can use it as like a dip you can put it into purees um you can even whip it up and make it like a fluffy bone marrow which is a great way of getting um iron into them as well you're a genius you really are i think all of these these things that you yeah you make it sound so simple but it it can be it's just being armed with the right information um just just to circle back, um, what do you, when it comes to starting out, and I know we sort of talked about baby led versus purees and making what works for you, but mm. what type of foods should they actually start on? Because I think that's another 
misconception we sort of that's evolved as time's gone on what would you recommend for the very first food yeah um so generally when they're very first starting I just say to start with the foods that are considered to be very low allergenic foods so um you know that would be like things like your root vegetables meat is a low allergenic food as well um basically you just want to see how they tolerate any food you know and so you don't want to start with something that's an allergenic food um so for example with my kids I think I started them both on sweet potato and avocado like that was the sort of two first things I started them on and once they were sort of I was like they're they're digesting food okay um then you can start mixing and matching stuff you don't have to do that whole one food every three days that they used to say to do um you can start mixing things but you do want to have a more slow mindful approach with those top nine allergenic foods because um yeah we we want to obviously test them for allergies and so they're the ones that you would do the three exposures to a few days apart each one um and just you know so for example things like egg and peanuts and tree nuts um which I remember off the top of my head sesame (laughs) soy dairy and wheat they're your top nine so they're the ones you want to go slow with but everything else you can you don't need to unless you have like a random you know banana allergy in the family or something then yeah you probably want to go slow with banana as well um yep just because family his family history of allergies you know that it does increase the risk and so um any other food though you should be able to just just start incorporating I do have on my website a free um first food guide which I've kind of created with digestibility in mind so you can start with the easiest to digest foods and then so I've got a six to eight month guide and then an eight to ten month and the ten to twelve month one um so basically I say anything in that six to eight month guide you can start mixing and matching and then as babies grow and their digestive system matures a little bit they can handle some of the harder to digest foods which is your things like some of the pseudo grains for example and um rice and oats and um some of the other allergens that are a little bit harder to digest so you can um yeah download that for free on my website if if anyone wants to yeah and I think the thing I love about you um in terms of your Instagram as well is that you provide a lot of information for free and it's a great reference point I know I've used that six to eight month guide with Archer um the other hack of yours that I love is the chia seeds for constipation and I think um that's again something that I hadn't heard of until I started following you before we wrap up do you have any other tips or hacks when it comes to feeding um I don't know if I have any hacks, but basically my biggest tip is just provide real food and, and don't, you know, don't be afraid of, I like to promote the cuts of foods that are, you know, not as, uh, what's the word, marketed, I guess, you know, like the liver and the bone marrow and broths and things because they often have the most nutrients in them. So I basically like to remember that babies don't eat a lot Uh, they have a small tummy but they do have some nutritional needs we need to meet and the biggest one is iron and so you know I guess I like to try and make food have a lot of bang for its buck (laughs) Um, yeah yeah. but you know the the other things to remember is that breast milk or formula is going to meet most of their nutrient needs until 12 months so 
whilst yes I think food should be nutritious and it does serve a purpose um it is also for fun and we don't need to put too much stress over it as well um some babies just do not are not interested in solids until like 10 to 12 months and that's really normal you know and you often see that with these little roly-poly beautiful babies who are quite sedentary and obviously getting a lot of calories from milk um Whereas then you might have children like mine who were wiry, skinny and walking at nine months and, you know, (laughs) were eating a lot of food by then because they were very active. And so that just, I like to just remind everyone, you know, all babies are different and they will get it. And our job, like I've said, is, is just to provide the food, the healthy food at regular intervals and to let them learn to do the rest. I think that's a fantastic way to end and I think you've just probably given a lot of people comfort because every child is so different Um, and, yeah, we need to be mindful that it's not a rush and they will get it eventually. It's just that some of them will do it in their own time. Yeah, totally, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Luca. I will be putting all of your details into the show notes. And just to give you a little plug, if anybody doesn't, I highly recommend following you on Instagram because you've got such amazing content. But I appreciate so much for you joining me today. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. I really appreciate you having me on here. Such a fantastic and educational episode. A few things that I took away from the conversation with Luca is that it's important to teach your child how to understand and communicate when they're full. It's not as much about how much they're eating. She mentions that there's no right or wrong when it comes to spood feeding or baby led weaning and often can work well in a combination. They're both great options and it will be up to the individual. However, she does emphasize that meal time should be a relaxing and happy time without the element of stress. Based on recent research, meat is the best source of iron for babies, so it's important to offer it, and she gives a number of different ways for you to do that. I've popped all of her details into the show notes for a point of call, and if you haven't done so already, make sure that you hit the subscribe button so that you can join me next week as well. If you're on Instagram, head on over to at Mummy Republic Podcast for more information on the postpartum sub-series and the main podcast and the guests that are involved. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to speaking with you next time.